how's it going? Happy Halloween! I'm just kidding. I'm not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I promise I didn't just have a stroke. Uh, welcome to Screen Speak. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping that intro in there. I'm, ke- I'm keeping it. We're, we're, we're going. This is Halloween. This is how we're going to do it today. It's going to be a little wacky. Uh, be a little strange. Uh, I, or maybe it won't be. It might not be any of those things. I just, I, I started it off on such a strange note and now I, I'm just going to keep going, but, uh, let, let's try that again. I'll, I'll try to do it more normal. How, how about that? Hey everyone out there. How's it going? Welcome to screen speak. It is the podcast that is all about movies, life, and so much more. I'm Jordan Anderson. This is my podcast, and I do sincerely appreciate each and every one of you coming by and giving it a listen. Um, If you haven't done so on this fine Halloween day, please go ahead and follow and or download episodes of Screen Speak on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you do uh, decide to listen to your podcast at, you can definitely go ahead and do one or both of those things. Uh, and also, please, please go ahead and follow the Instagram for the podcast. It's just simply titled at ScreenSpeak Podcast. Uh, I post some movie-related content on there from time to time, so take a look at that when you have a moment. And uh, yeah, that, that that's it for the plugs, so let's just go ahead and proceed with this episode on Halloween. Halloween, I don't know why I'm deciding to talk like this. Is this scary? I don't know. I'm could it, what, what if I talk like this for the whole episode? Would it disturb you? Would it bother you? Would you think that you're listening to Jigsaw? It, it kind of sounds like Jigsaw a little bit, right? Actually, <clears throat> it, it does sound a little bit like Jigsaw. Hey, do you want to hear a Jigsaw impression real quick before I talk about the actual movie I'm talking about? Okay, I think you do. Uh, here we go. Three, two, one. <clears throat> Hello. I want to play a game. That, that, that's as best as I can do. Okay. Uh, I promise I haven't had like a bunch of Red Bull or anything like that. I just, uh, I don't know. I just wanted to, again, start this episode off on a different note. Uh, because it's Halloween, it is a spooky day. Um, even though, you know, to be honest, it's actually like I'm not feeling the spooky vibe of it just yet. Or, or maybe I don't even know if I'm supposed to because where I'm at right now, it's actually quite nice. It's actually quite nice. And sunny out, um, so it's not really giving me the creepy vibes just yet. But maybe once the the lights start to the not the lights, the sun, you know, the sun, the big thing in the sky that gives us all light. Maybe once that decides to go down, I will start to in turn feel creeped out and weirded out. Um, I don't really know where I was going with that, but whatever. Let's proceed. So, if you listened to the last episode of Screen Speak, I, I had two guests on. I had Adam Wall and Sophia Hahn on. Thank you to both of them for coming on to the last episode of the podcast. Um, and in that, and ah, why, why can't, you know what, see, this is what happens when I, like, when I mess with the intro and do some psychotic ranting thing like I did. It throws my rhythm off, but whatever. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, I had Sophia, uh, Sophia Hahn, Adam Wall had both of them on, and we talked all about The Shining. And so it seemed only natural, given that I've been talking about horror movies and, you know, this is Halloween, that I would talk about the sequel that came 40 plus years later uh, to The Shining, the, the Kubrick film. Um, it's Doctor Sleep. So I thought it would be appropriate to talk about that. Um, cause I actually, I, I actually really do like Dr. Sleep, the movie. 
Um, I haven't read the book, but again, because we talked about The Shining, I thought, okay, well, let's talk about Dr. Sleep because that is the sequel. So let's go ahead and talk all about that. So first off, Dr. Sleep, it came out um, fairly recently, actually, came out November 8th of 2019. So it's not that old of a movie. Uh, It stars Ewan McGregor, Rebecca Ferguson, um, and also has uh, Cliff Curtis in there in 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 a good supporting role. Uh, Bruce Greenwood makes an appearance in there as well. And then there is Kylie, uh, Kylie Kieran. I think I'm saying her name right. Um, she's the young, uh, young actress that plays, uh, Abra in, in this movie. And I think this, I want to say this was her first movie or if, if it is, I don't, I mean, I'm not sure if it is, but anyway, she's, she actually gives a pretty good performance for, for a child. And, um, yeah. And anywho, she's, she's good in the movie. But let's talk about what this story is about and and talk, of course, how it ties together with The Shining, which is, of course, going to be a subject on this. So here's the synopsis. Struggling with alcoholism, Dan Torrance remains traumatized by the sinister events that occurred at the Overlook Hotel when he was a child. His hope for a peaceful existence soon becomes shattered when he meets Abra, a teen that shares his extrasensory gift of The Shine. Together, they form an unlikely alliance to battle the True Knot, a cult whose members try to feed off the shine of innocence so that they, in turn, can become immortal. So, so there you go. That's, that's the story. And <clears throat> the, first thing, the first thing that I want to talk about um, when I'm thinking of this movie is just, I think, the, the hype leading up to its release. Because... I, I'm not saying like this movie, you know, actually, sadly, this movie did underperform at the box office, if my memory serves me right. I don't I don't want to say it was like necessarily a bomb, but I don't think it did as well as the studio was hoping for. Uh, but I do think most horror enthusiast fans or people that respect uh, the Kubrick classic have have uh, have praised this movie as as being a faithful uh, adaptation, not only of Stephen King's sequel, um, Dr. Sleep, because it's, it's also based off a Stephen King novel, just like The Shining was, um, but that it actually does a fine job of, of blending the, the elements of Kubrick's movie, of, of staying faithful to the events that happened in that, even though there are things that occur in Kubrick's version that are not faithful to Stephen King's novel. And Stephen King, of course, has been on record numerous times talking about how he was not satisfied with that. So, it was interesting, I know, talking about the hype and, and everything leading up to it, thinking about how much this sequel was going to lean on the the Kubrick classic. Was it going to try to take anything directly from Stephen King's uh, novels, The Shining and Doctor Sleep? And how's it going to essentially walk that line between you're your, your walking in the foots of a giant being The Shining, a Kubrick classic. It's considered one of the best movies of all time, but then still continuing the story and still being your own movie without that previous movie overshadowing what this movie is trying to do. So, <clears throat> so I think uh, Mike Flanagan, the, the director of this movie, I think he had a a hell of a challenge to to do with that but i i can can safely say that i think he pulls it off i mean i i really think for what it's worth he pulls it off am i going to say that this movie is better than the shining um no i i wouldn't say it is but it's also not 
I don't think it's trying to be better than The Shining. I'm not, I don't even think it's really trying to be a comparison to it, even though, of course, especially towards the third act of the movie, there are blatant comparisons and, and callbacks and homages to The Shining. But ultimately, I think Dr. Sleep still stands on its own as, a, as a, just a pretty solid movie. I mean, like at least two-thirds of this movie are its own thing. And granted, there are some references to The Shining here and there in those first two acts, but it still feels like its own movie, and it's not overly reliant on The Shining up until the third act, but I'll get into that in a moment. But <clears throat> but that's, I think, another thing that, that I did ultimately appreciate about Doctor Sleep is that I do feel like it has its own identity. I was a little worried when the trailers for the movie were coming out that, of course, just to you know, get people drawn into it. They showed most of the shining parts uh, of the story, but the the trailer itself didn't really show a whole lot of, you know, the whole rest of the movie that, you know, ultimately makes up most of the runtime. Uh, and I, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad that they didn't do that, I guess, for the trailers. Cause if you're going to get people to come in, it, it makes sense to show them the shining, show them that it's a connection to this, um, people love and celebrate that movie. So people love seeing some of the shot recreations that they did and recreating the overlook and things like that. That's definitely going to be a big selling point, but I can, I, I mean, I guess I repeated myself on this, but I do think the movie has its own identity and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about why I think that's the case. Um, <clears throat> well, for one, I think, you know, you're not dealing with, I'm trying to think, how do I say this? Because in The Shining, most of the movie is in a secluded location. It's all taking place at the Overlook. Whereas this one, it has multiple different locations, actually. Um, at the start of the movie, Dan Torrance, played by Ewan McGregor, he's uh, led a pretty rough life thus far. Um, he, he uses... He uses alcoholism to to cover up his his demons, similar to his father, played by Jack Nicholson in, in the in The Shining. Um, but it's not like I said; it's not like you know him just being stuck in a haunted house. Like it's actually a pretty intimate character study on him. It shows how he eventually hits rock bottom uh, by by sleeping with some coked out you know, probably a prostitute of some kind. And she ends up, I think, I think he wakes up next to her and she's OD'd in bed next to him. And he's going to like steal some money from her. But then he sees that she has this infant child that's just there. And, you know, I think that's where he like really feels like his lowest, like, wow, I'm like a big, pretty big scumbag for even considering doing that. And then eventually it leads him to the small town uh, in a very Stephen King type of small town. I, I can't recall let me actually let me actually look it up here because that's that's gonna drive me nuts. Let's see, where is Doctor Sleep set? Okay, so Doctor Sleep. Well, I don't care where it was filmed. Just yeah, tell me where it takes place. Okay, <clears throat> okay, that's it. So yeah, so years after the traumatizing events of the Overlook Hotel, Dan Torrance. I already know the story. He moves to a small town in New Hampshire. Okay, but what is the small town in New Hampshire? That's what I'm trying to... I want to be specific here. Okay, where is... Okay, okay let me put Dr. Sleep... Dr. Sleep, New Hampshire town. What's the name of it? Fraser? Okay, the place in the movie was called Fraser, New Hampshire, I guess. Is that a real place? I, I'm, I'm having a feeling that it's not. But let me see. Let's see if it's real. Um, well, okay. 
Apparently it's not real, so don't don't get out your GPS and make a make a plan to go to Fraser, New Hampshire. It doesn't exist. So there you go. But I digress. So <clears throat> so anyways, in Doctor Sleep, unlike I like I said, it taking place in one isolated location. It actually follows Dan leading up to him getting to the small town after he's hit bottom. He eventually uh, gets involved in an AA program and gets a job as an orderly, I believe at a, a elderly care facility. Um, and then before too long, I, I don't really want to spoil too much, but he, <clears throat> he eventually develops a nickname um, amongst the residents there as Dr. Sleep because his gift that he has with the shine, aside from the elements that happened when he was a little boy, you know, him seeing the two little girls and the, you know, the ghosts and spirits and everything like that. He also has a way of using his gift to help people be at peace before they reach the other side, whether, you know, it's heaven or hell, we don't really know, but he ultimately serves as a, as a guide to death, which it sounds dark, but I actually really liked how they, how they, I guess how they, uh, what am I, what are the words I'm trying to look for? Just how they handled that, that uh that story that storyline there um that material because it's pretty dark but it's ultimately fairly sweet the way that they handle it you know he i think he really does care for the residents that are there and he doesn't want them to to be afraid of dying and so by using his gift that allows him to have uh you know a connection to you know, the, the spiritual world if you want to call it that he's allowed to help people pass away and and and, and understand that, you know, death is not the end, that he knows for a fact that there is something else out there beyond just scary ghouls and, and haunted places like the Overlook. He, he uses his, his gift, if you want to call it a gift, he uses his shine for something good. And, and so I like seeing the, the movie tell that story of, of Dan Torrance and, and how that affects him as a person. Because eventually he, after a while, he, he, he gains sobriety. He's able to, um, to be sober for a while. And I think he feels like his job is making a difference. He, you know, he's got a stable, stable living. Um, he has a, he has a new best friend played by, uh, Cliff Curtis, who, uh, Cliff Curtis in the movie. I actually, I, I like Cliff Curtis a lot. He shows, he's been in a, he was in the movie Blow. Does anyone remember that with Johnny Depp? He plays a version of Pablo Escobar. Um, he's not in the movie very long, but he's just a really solid supporting player. And I, I really like any time he pops up in a movie, I'm like, okay, that guy's always pretty solid in what he's doing. But anywho, <clears throat> but it's interesting because since this movie is not taking place in an isolated location, it's taking place in multiple locations. And there's actually more characters in this one, unlike the, the shining as well. Cause you're not just following Dan Torrance. You're, you're following uh, the character Abra, which is this younger girl that lives actually nowhere near um, where Dan Torrance lives, but actually lives quite far away. But because of her super powerful um, shining abilities, she's able to communicate with him from long distance um, and, that, and it's neat seeing how they do that too. Cause I feel like that was something that the shining sort of touched on when Danny is trying to communicate with Dick Holleran, but he's more just sending him vibes as opposed to like actually talking. Whereas in this, <clears throat> they can actually talk, um, using, uh, using the shine and, and they, and they, 
they explore that a lot more in Doctor Sleep. <clears throat> and and that's actually a thing I, I didn't really previously note when I was um, preparing this episode, but I also like that they do expand on the gift or curse that The Shining is. So they 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 go into more detail about what the gift can actually do. Um, what the shining actually allows a person to do that it doesn't have to be just used for seeing, you know, awful things, but that it can be uh, a benefit. But <clears throat> of course, like anything else, people that have a gift, there will be people that will try to take advantage of that or go after it. They have a hunger for it. And that's where the true knot enters into the story, uh, which is led by Rebecca Ferguson. And, I will say Rebecca Ferguson, I don't actually know a ton about her. I I had seen her. I, th- I think the first movie, I'm trying to think, because I know she got fame. She got fame for when she did The Greatest Showman. But then I know prior to that, I think the thing that I remember her getting really famous for was Mission Impossible uh, Ghost, Ghost Protocol. Or is it Rogue Nation? I think it's Rogue Nation because I don't I I'll be honest I don't really watch the Mission Impossible movies I've seen a few of them but I know that she got she got some fame uh, and notoriety from those movies but point is I just hadn't really seen her that much up until this movie and she's great she is great as Rose the Hat the leader of this creepy cult of possibly non-humans they're I mean they're human but not really uh, they're kind of I don't know how I would explain the true knot they are immortal to a sense but they're kind of like vampires where like it's only they have to feed in order to um to live as long as they do but they feed on people's shine uh so they're not being like true vampires in that sense of it but they do sense people's powers with the shine and then in order to get it out of them they have to ultimately like harm them or they sometimes convert them too, which is kind of an interesting dynamic they do is that they they find there's one girl in particular that they find and they decide that, well, she is a pusher, I think is what they call it. So she can use her shine to influence what people do, which is yet another interesting aspect of this. Because, like I said, it expands the the world and lore that The Shining established, which probably Dr. Sleep the book does this. Uh, but we're able to get a better sense of what the gifts does. So it's, it's interesting to see all the different variations of what people with... Uh, the Shining can actually do. So I, I enjoyed seeing that. Oh. Now, <clears throat> you hear that chewing? I probably shouldn't do that. I don't think I've ever ate on a podcast before, but I was a little hungry. So I'm honestly having uh, some apples right now, like apple slices. So you want to hear me chew for a moment? It's not professional, but here we go. Let's just listen to me chew for a minute, see how terrible it is. I'm going to drink some water and uh, probably not eat for the rest of that because I think that was obnoxious for you to listen to. Um, Let's see. I was talking about the True Knot, how how that's interesting, the expansion of the gifts of The Shining. Um, I guess I don't really want to say too much more about the story. I've kind of touched on a lot of different elements of it, but... I guess what I was trying to get at by, by sharing all that with you is that this movie has a lot of its own things to say and it's, uh, it has its own identity and I really appreciate that. But I also appreciate that it is expanding on the world that Stephen King created in the shining, um, 
while still telling its own unique story. So that's that's what I was trying to say about all that. Uh, I talked about the cast. Uh, you know, Ewan McGregor. <clears throat> I guess I didn't really touch about him directly. Ewan McGregor's just a really solid actor. Um, <clears throat> even in movies that aren't the greatest, he's always a pretty solid player, and I think he does a pretty good job as Dan Torrance. I don't know if he is, like, the greatest. I don't want to say that because, it's again, it's not a comparison to, like, Jack Nicholson's performance because I don't – that's such a unique performance, and he's not trying to do – a Jack Nicholson thing. Cause again, he's not, he's not going insane. Like his father did. He's a different person. He's living, uh, he's having to live with the aftermath of what his father did and, and everything else like that. So it's a very different performance in that vein. But <clears throat> I think Ewan McGregor does a fine job in this movie. And I like seeing him, uh, do projects like this. Cause I, I don't actually know if I've seen him do a supernatural horror film before. So, I enjoyed seeing him kind of venture outside of of um, not that not, I shouldn't even say venture outside because he is a he's a kind of a chameleon as an actor. I think he can jump in and out of just about any genre um, and find his way because he's that good. So he's good. <clears throat> um, you know, so let, let, let's talk more about you know aside from the cast and it being its own story and whatnot. I wanted to talk about some of the other um, some of the other themes going on in this movie. Uh, and how they can tie into The Shining and whatnot, because I think some of those comparisons are actually quite interesting. <clears throat> First, like the The Shining, this one does deal with alcoholism, just like that, uh, just like the previous movie dealt with. But it deals with it to me in a in a deeper way than the first one does, because in The Shining, you know, we know that Jack Torrance has problems with with alcoholism and abuse and that by the time he's actually staying at the overlook he has been he hasn't drank i think for like four or five months is what we're told anyway um and that seems to be true up until he loses his marbles and has ghost and has ghost whiskey if that's even real because again we, we don't know if that's all real or made up in his mind from the demons or what have you but <clears throat> but but going back to dr sleep and talking about dan torrance his his struggle with alcoholism is is interesting because one I think he is using it as a as a means to cover up his feelings about what took place even as a little boy at the Overlook. I mean, it's a long time ago, but he no doubt still feels traumatized by that and still probably carries around some of the trauma of what his father um did to him whether it was before the events of the Overlook, during the events. Um, I can't imagine that would really be easy to shake off. And then <clears throat> I think there's another interesting, an interesting point with him covering his alcoholism is that I think he is afraid also that he'll turn into his dad. And, and, and I find, I find that contrast with his character interesting because part of him, I think is drinking to escape the events of his past but then in a weird way, it's like he can't help himself but drink because, I don't know, He like he's also using it in a way to not become his father, but yet his father was a big drinker, so wouldn't that make him become that? I don't, I don't know if that's making sense. I, it, it might not be, but I just find it interesting that he knows that it's helping him at least cope with the overlook, but at the same time, it's also destroying him, and that it could eventually lead to him being a per, like a person like his father, which I think is what... Dan Torrance is is very very afraid of is becoming his dad, um, 
and I like how the movie deals with his his that inner crisis that he's facing throughout mu- throughout much of the movie, and and again without without giving spoilers because I I don't I want people to see this. I like how that thread that story thread comes full circle towards the end of the movie. I I really think they had a a good solid character arc for for Dan Torrance and I I just liked how they dealt with the alcoholism on that. Um one scene I want to talk about with that in particular because I think it's it's one of the best scenes in the movie and it is towards the third act when he is Danny has has returned to the overlook. Um <clears throat> It's an interesting scene, and I guess this will be the most spoilery scene that I talk about. So if you're listening right now, I'm going to give a mild spoiler to the movie, but I I don't think it'll be too much. So eventually, you know, it shows him in the trailer. He returns Dan. He returns to the Overlook Hotel. And when he's going through the hotel, um, trying to draw out the the spirits and give them, you know, cause they, they also show that the spirits of the hotel, um, have a hunger for the shine similar to the true knot, the, the cult that also wants to eat the shine so that they can live forever. But at one point it, it finds Dan returning to the gold room, which is where his father famously had conversations with Lloyd, the, the bartender and, <clears throat> you know, uh, eventually gets, I think that's where he gets convinced to get the idea to start murdering the family and whatnot. But Dan goes there and he sits at the same bar, probably sits in the same seat that his father sat in. And then interestingly enough, his father returns as Lloyd, the bartender, which is kind of, it's kind of confusing to, to some people, or at least to myself, because I know when I saw that scene, um, I, I, I mean, one, I wasn't sure if they were going to try to somehow incorporate Jack Torrance into the movie. I mean, Jack Nicholson, of course, I, didn't, I really didn't think they were going to have him involved because, you know, he's he's too old to play that role now. And so they they ended up having it be be recast by I think it's is it Henry Thomas. Yeah. Henry Thomas plays the movie's version of Jack Torrance and. I thought it, well, I thought for that scene, I don't, I, I don't want to talk about like, you know, what I thought about like them recasting Jack Nicholson, because that's just, I don't really think there's a way to fully win that. You know, you're not going to replace Jack Nicholson. You're just not going to. And I didn't want them to, you know, lean too much into the character of Jack Torrance because Jack Nicholson, you know, he really owned that part. So I didn't want them to have too much run, uh, too much screen time with, uh, with Jack Torrance in this, but Aside, like aside from that, you know, you can you can speculate on on how well the recast went or whatever. What I want to talk about is that scene because he is getting to talk to his father. Now I don't know if it's truly his father, if it's a version of his father that the hotel conjured up um, in order to try to disillude him and manipulate him into becoming a a drinker like his father was and to repeat the events that his father did of trying to just go crazy and kill people. I don't know, but I think it's a really powerful scene. And in particular, you can see how painful it is for, for Danny to have to have this conversation and have to resist 
his father trying to serve him, you know, whiskeys. Like he's like, drink your medicine, I think is what they do. And it's a pretty emotional scene, you know, having to come to turn, having to come face to face with your demon in such a profound, personal and unsettling way. Cause it's, you know, it is very creepy the way that it's happening, but that whole scene I just found very effective. And I, I liked, I really liked how the director handled that scene. I think it was written well and, um, yeah, it, it helped the character come full circle. I don't want to say much more than that. But anyways, it's, it's a good scene. But the, the movie overall handles the subject of alcohol abuse well. And it has a different message on it than what would have been conveyed in The Shining. So that's, that's all I was really trying to talk about there. Um, <clears throat> another thing I wanted to talk about, too, is, is uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, which this is something that actually happens earlier in the movie. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier in this episode that Dan reaches a period of sobriety uh, through the help of an AA group. And I just wanted to share some thoughts really quick on, on Alcoholics Anonymous and, and those groups. And I'm going to try not to have this be too much of a ramble, but I want to air out some of these thoughts and, and see if maybe there's some um, there's something there for this. So... <clears throat> Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, um, I don't know if it's strange, but there's a part of me that always envies like people that are in those groups. And, and, and hear me out for a second when I say that, because I don't envy somebody that's going through being an alcoholic and having to go to a program like that to recover, you know, or salvage their, their life, their life and, and get it back on track, since I think that's what most people are doing when they're there. But I don't know. There's there's something there's something that I like about seeing that there are groups of people out there that will hear you out and, in a judgment free zone and are there to try to champion for each other's success in sobriety and in health. And I don't know. I I, I find those programs uplifting, and I like seeing them. And I almost sometimes. I almost sometimes get jealous in a way that I'm just like, why can't there just be, you know, an AA group just for life? You know, like I, I don't like, I would just like to go to like, you know, you call it like a life support group if you want to call it that for just a, a group of people that get together like once a week or even once a month and just sit around in the circle and, you know, just talk, just really talk and engage and listen with one another without judgment and just try to help people figure out, you know, the problems that are going on in their life. Cause I think people have a lot of different problems. Uh, it doesn't have to just be substance abuse. Um, so I don't know. I just kind of wish there would be like more support groups like that, that would help people just get connected with each other more and, and help people in a, in a deeper way. And I don't know. I just, that, that type of, that type of camaraderie is something that anytime I see AA in a movie, I'm just like, man, that's, you know, I don't want to be an alcoholic, but it, it'd be nice to have that kind of a social circle, um, you know, be able to have that type of a, um, a community to lean on when things are tough. Now, I think some people would say to that, well, well Jordan, you know, if you, you know, if you go to church, something like that, there's, there's like Bible study groups and, and that type of thing, if you're into that. And that's, you know, that, that's kind of in a way like that, because I think sometimes people treat that as like, you know, support groups as well. Um, 
you know, I hear people a lot. They're like, I got my church family. I hear that. And I think, I mean, that's great. That's, that's really great if that's something that you like, but there's still that's, you know, the spiritual angle of that. So not saying that's bad. Again, I want to be clear. I mean, I, I go to church myself. I, I like those groups. I think that's nice, but I still just don't really see a support community oriented group like that, that isn't based around substance abuse, around spirituality, or some type of other, some type of other type of influence, I guess that's, that's, um, you know, what the group's kind of all about. I don't really see ones that are just purely about people helping each other out and just, you know, being there for one another. You know, you can call it a self-help group if you want. I don't know. Perhaps these things exist and I just don't know about them. But I have a lot of respect for any groups out there that do that type of thing. And so I just wanted to share. So just share that I respect those groups. And if there are um, ones out there for just people that, you know, hell, you could even call it like a, a, like a friend's, a friend circle or something. Just people that are like, Hey, like, I just want to be around some good company and just get to know some people and, and see if I can help them out or they can help me out. Um, I don't know. I think sometimes we could use more of that in the world and just be something nice to see uh, a little bit more often. That's all. Um, <clears throat> okay. So another thing I wanted to talk about uh, on this episode is, <clears throat> overcoming tragedy, overcoming a tragedy, because I think that is another point that is, is in the story of this movie. It's, it's through the, the core of this movie is overcoming tragedy. Cause it's one thing I think Danny, you know, you and McGregor figures out is that, you know, alcohol is not the answer for overcoming the tragedy. It might numb his pain, but it's ultimately not going to help him, uh, to move past what's happened. And I don't know. It makes me think about what do people, what are people supposed to do if they've had some um, bad things happen to them in life? And, you know, if they don't lean on alcohol, they don't lean on drugs. Or something, again, I'm not saying that that should be your go-to, but what should people do when they have to overcome a tragedy? Um, well, I think in a way, I think in the way Dr. Sleep addresses that by, you know, kind of talking about the AA group, I think feeling community, feeling like you're a part of something is a way to help people overcome personal tragedies that they have, makes them be involved, um, being involved in something bigger than, bigger than themselves, I think is what I was trying to say there. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't really have answers to this one. I'm just kind of airing this out. I'm just curious what people do when tragedy has happened to them. What do they do to try to move on? You know, do they, <clears throat> and, and, and also for that matter, do they ever come to peace with the tragedy? Because um, I, I get kind of dark when I think about this subject. You know, we hear stories in the news all the time of, you know, like a shooting or some type of a murder. I, I know actually recently, um, <clears throat> And this is going to get pretty dark, but you know, this real, real life is dark sometimes. So what are you going to do? Um, and the community I'm in, there was a, a story I heard recently where, uh, I think you, I want to say it was a high schooler, maybe, uh, a high schooler or a young guy killed his parents. Um, yeah, he killed both of them. And I, I don't know how he did it, but he admitted to it. I, I know that from what I was reading in the store, in the press, um, 
I think he actually, I'm not sure if he had called it in or someone heard the disturbance, but cops showed up and I think he was like just sitting outside the house uh, covered in blood and just like, yeah, um, murdered my parents. And I'm sure there's a lot to that. Like I'm sure, you know, either, either the person was mentally disturbed or what have you. But what I, what I try to think about is when I hear about, you know, these murders are like awful tragedies, like the one I even just described. It's like, how, how are people supposed to make peace with that or move on? I mean, the person that did it, I don't know if there's a peace that they can have. Like if somebody, if somebody kills somebody, I mean, depending on how you look at it, that could be considered a tragedy, even for the person that's the murderer is that, you know, they, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying they are, but, I don't know. I'm not going to be articulating this right, but of course a person's in control of their actions to a point, but you know, I'm sure murderers feel morose, uh, or morose. They feel, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, guilt. They feel, uh, mor- sorrowful, morose. I, I don't know. They might feel bad. Okay. And they might have to get over that. Or obviously the, the victims of a murder, they, they have to get over it. Family members of someone like that. And thankfully I've never known anybody that has known someone close to them that has been murdered and what they would do to try to move on from that. And I don't know if you ever can. Um, that's one thing I think I liked overall about Dr. Sleep, I, I want to, yeah, I do want to tie it back into that. Cause if I, if I go too far into like the real life murder road and you know, how people try to address when those things happen, I mean, that, that could be a whole other podcast and you know, I don't really got the, <clears throat> I don't got the stomach for that one right now, but what I liked about Dr. Sleep and how they deal with Danny overcoming tragedy is even when the character, his character, I think, you know, comes full circle I think he's just made peace with things. That's as best as I can, as, as best as I can say it. Um, it's not like he's fully, maybe he's accepting of it. That's, that's part of, of having peace with a situation is that you've accepted it. Um, but I don't know. I, I think what I like about him overcoming tragedy in this is that he's not letting it define who he is anymore. I think he, his character reaches a place where he's like, I'm done letting that, rule my life like I'm controlling my future I am in control of my destiny I'm not going to let those events uh, run my life um, in a way there's a there's a powerful powerful message or story being told there uh, told there I think and again I don't know I might I might be reaching on that one a little bit but if anybody's seen Dr. Sleep and they and they see Danny's character arc happen and and how he ultimately comes to terms with the things that have happened with him. I just think it's done. It's really well done. Uh, I really appreciated that in the movie. So, and again, I, I think I, I might've, I might've not really resolved some of that murder stuff I was talking about. I, I brought it up because, you know, it, I think about those types of things when people are getting over things, like how do you get over the worst of the worst? But I didn't really resolve that in this. That's, I think that's what I was trying to get at with that. I didn't resolve it, but it's, it's just something to think about, right? Um, so the last thing that I wanted to talk about on Dr. Sleep is the brilliant way that it does create the Overlook Hotel again. <clears throat> because 
the movie does build up. Like, I think, like, you know, even if you don't watch the trailer, if you know this is a sequel to The Shining, you know that it's likely going to lead them to going to the Overlook Hotel. Which, interestingly enough, in The Shining, the actual book for The Shining, it's well known, at least by people that read the book, that the Overlook actually gets burned down at the end of The Shining book. But in the movie, it doesn't do that. And so that's one of the interesting things that this movie is doing is that it is walking that tightrope between staying faithful to Kubrick and still being faithful to the Stephen King book, Dr. Sleep. And what I do like um, about that is that they are able to go back to the overlook, even though that doesn't happen in Dr. Sleep, but they're still able to do faith to the original events of the shining and still have a tie back into Dr. Sleep. And again, I, I'm not going to say too much. You'll just have to watch the movie to understand what I'm talking about there. But I want to talk about how they actually recreated the Overlook Hotel because I do think it is a painstaking labor of love that went into creating that. So one thing I I knew about how they did it was that Mike Flanagan was actually able to get access to the original 1978 blueprints that Stanley Kubrick and his production team used to make the Overlook Hotel so that when they recreated... um, certain aspects of it because they didn't shoot it in the exact same place that Kubrick did, but they made this whole set. They, they recreated, um, oh, what is the, the, because they, because they have the gold room, but I'm trying to think the hang on, I gotta look this up. Cause it's going to drive me nuts. The shining main. Okay. The living room. What's it called? It's going to drive me insane. Uh, what is the famous room in the... Sh- well, not not two, three... Yeah, I know that. Colorado room or whatever. You know what I'm talking about. The big room with the big staircase. That's what I'm trying to get at. So <clears throat> using the original blueprints that, that Kubrick had, they were able to, at least from a production design standpoint, create the sets exactly to the same specifications that Kubrick would have done Um back when they were working on the movie in 78 and getting it out in 80 and whatnot, which I think is great. And you can clearly tell that Flanagan and his team studied every single frame of the shining. And I mean like frame by frame to get the details, right? Everywhere from the wallpaper on, you know, the walls of the overlook, the the carpet color, the pattern to the design, where, um, some of the, <clears throat> some of the props are at like plants and art and things like that. Um, everything is so, so lovingly re- recreated. I mean, like it is, I, it's indistinguishable to me. Like that's how good they did, um, making it look exactly like how Kubrick did. Um, <clears throat> but then also the, the other interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, the other interesting thing that they were able to do is that because it's been so long since the events of the Overlook, they added a rust and, and wear and tear to, to many of the areas. So they recreated it, but they also had to wear it down with age. Um, and I thought the effects on that were just absolutely fantastic. And then I think one of the money shots of the movie, and I, I don't blame them for, for doing it because it, you know, it's a nice homage to The Shining, and I, I admit I even enjoyed seeing it is when Danny goes to their old room that the family stayed at and he sees the door where Jack Torrance was beating it down with an axe and he does 
Thankfully, they, they did not try to recreate the iconic shot, but he does put his face up right by and kind of looks through the hole. And it's, of course, very reminiscent of Jack Nicholson's Here's Johnny! Very reminiscent of that. Uh, but they didn't try to recreate that, which I thought, which I thought was, uh, was very, very smart. But I, I really am in awe of Flanagan and his team and how faithful they were to recreating that because I can guarantee that that is not an easy task. Uh, especially again, when you are having to recreate specific locations of a classic film. I mean, this is a movie that's 40 years old. It's going to be very, very well known by people that are, you know, very faith, uh, faithful fans to, to that movie. They're going to be able to spot if they're like, if something doesn't look right, they're going to be like, I'll see like that. Nope. That's not right. Or that's not right. They're going to be able to pick that apart. And I really don't think that even the most hardcore Shining fans can watch this movie and when they get to the Overlook be like, ah, that's not correct or that's a little off or whatever, whatever. Um, they really did a fantastic job doing that. And I and I absolutely love that. Um, and I would also say, too, that I love the scene where this I don't want to uh, I'm, I'm tempted. Do I spoil it or don't I? I don't know. I'll just say I really like the climax of what happens with Rose the Hat. That's all I'll say because I, I don't I really don't want to give it away. So um, <clears throat> I don't think I have any other thoughts that I really want to share in this movie. I just think that ultimately Dr. Sleep is a really well done sequel to a beloved classic film. And that's very rare to say because I think there would be. Not, not even, I don't even think, I think anytime a situation like this where a director is trying to do this type of a task in making a movie that's based off such beloved source material, it could have been a disaster. It could have been awful. It could have been unnecessary. It could have not done any justice to the original or it'd be like, oh, Dr. Sleep is not even a contest compared to The Shining. But I really, really think that as far as a sequel goes to you know, a classic film. Uh, it's great. Uh, it's not perfect. Like, you know, it's not, I can't even say like it's, it's as good as the shining. Cause it, I mean, I, again, I don't like to compare the two, but the shining is iconic for so many reasons. I mean, there's technical innovations being done in that movie, but <clears throat> Flanagan is able to please both camps of the hardcore Stephen King fans of the book and the Kubrick camp of people that are obsessed with that movie. And I really think that he does the best in the situation he was put in to please both sides of that while still telling a wholesome, um, a wholesome story that is its own thing and isn't trying to lean too heavily into the shining, even though I admit in the third act, it most definitely is just like shining homage all the way. But if you're a fan of Stephen King movies, you're a fan of just good filmmaking overall I really think Dr. Sleep is worth your time. And I just think it's a, it's a really good movie. Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. It's just, uh, yeah, just, just a good, good movie. And I couldn't think of a better movie to, to, to cap off the end of October with, uh, this Halloween. So, Hey, if you, if you got some time, watch, watch Dr. Sleep, uh, you know, today, if, if you haven't, I, I think this will, this will get uploaded around five, Around 5 p.m. or so. I don't know if it'll be up on Spotify that quickly, but it should. So, yeah. If you hear this episode today and I influenced you to watch Dr. Sleep, then great. Because give the movie some love. It definitely deserves it. <laughs>
All right. That's all I got to say. So hopefully everybody out there has a good, good Halloween. You had some fun dressing it up. Um, if you're young or old, I don't really care. Costumes, costumes are fun no matter what age you are. And uh, don't eat too much of the candy. And remember too, by the way, clearance candy. Clearance candy, people. It's going to be here right after you know today. Right after today, there's going to be a whole bunch of good deals on clearance candy. But the secret is don't do it right away. Don't go buy it right away. You want to wait until about three to five days after Halloween. That's that's the sweet money spot when you get the best discount off that candy that's going to rot your teeth out. So, um, anywho, that's all I got for the episode. I really appreciate you all listening. Oh, oh, um, one last thing. Uh, I do have more guests coming up for the month of November and beyond. And I do want to be clear that going forward now, I'll go back to talking about uh, a more wide range of movies and, and not just stick with horror movies like I was doing for October. So you can look forward to um, some other interesting movies, hopefully, to, to hear me talk about in, in future episodes. So that's it. Okay, done. Have a great Halloween, everybody. I'll see you all in the next episode.